talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. It's the Friday game preview. It's Ohio State, Arkansas State at noon in Ohio Stadium on Saturday. The line is big. The line is 44 and a half. Is that right, guys? 44 and a half. And updated. 44 and a half. Ohio State's favored by. The over-under is 68 and a half. So we will be making our picks for the game and our over-under selections at the end of this podcast. Doug Maurice, Nathan Baird, Stephen Means. But as we record this Thursday afternoon, Nathan, we got the last bit of info from Ryan Day with his noon radio show. And then a quick lightning round interview with reporters. What's the latest update? It sounds like there is a little bit of news with Luke Whipler, correct? Yeah, so as we said on the Thursday pod, Stephen and I had sort of tried to keep an eye out for him after practice on Wednesday night. We didn't see him. Either we might have just missed him, or it's possible that he practiced and went to get treatment. I think that's actually maybe the more likely thing before we were allowed in there. But regardless, Ryan Day said he's had a good week, that he's been practicing, and quote, we should be good there. They're going to continue to evaluate him, but the things that Ryan Day said today make me think Luke Whipler starts Saturday against Arkansas State. What is, as we sit here, for both of you, what is your final prediction? We'll start with you, Stephen, on Jackson Smith and Jigba for Saturday. Do you think he's out? Do you think he's limited? What kind of production do you think he might have if he plays? How much will they play him? What's your vibe and info on Jackson? So he looked like he practiced coming off the field on Wednesday and then was like doing jug stuff afterward. As Nathan texted, he had like the one sleeve leg sleeve on, but that he's been doing that anyway. That I don't know if that was a health thing or like that's just a swag thing. It's just a thing football players do now is they get the long sleeve pants and then they cut one of the legs off. So it looks like they have one sleeve. So that's just what he wears. But I mean, they don't need him this week. So I would lean towards he's not going to play just to give him an extra week to, if he's at 95%, let him get to 100%. And then next week when you're trying to gear back up for the rest of the season, you throw him back in there. Nathan, what was the vibe with, you know, Ryan Day talked for an hour on Thursday. I'm sure he talked around the most of Jackson Smith and Jigba stuff. Could you get any vibe on how he talked about it? Nothing more than what he had said earlier in the week. I think, you know, that the medical personnel are going to handle it and that he, he he's the one who said the 100% thing, which is, I mean, at some point in the season, a lot of guys aren't 100% and they're still playing. So, But I I think I lean towards where Steven is. I think if he plays, I would kind of expect him maybe to like be almost like a Julian Fleming thing last week, go through warm-ups, mm-hmm. stretch it out. Uh, that's almost kind of part of your rehab from an injury, I think, a little bit, is to go through that warm-up. And, but if there's any doubt, he won't play. And if he does play, I would, I would think it would be limited. Almost like how he was in the spring game where – he played that first series and then we never saw him again. Yeah. I don't I mean, know that, if it would be that limited, but it would be that I, concept. Yeah. Okay. So we're not expecting a lot of that. That obviously influences a little bit how you think about the game. If you want deeper gambling insight about this game, you're going to want to listen to our Friday gambling podcast where Tyler Shoemaker and I break down the best bets around Ohio State. I think Tishu is was out early this week with something around the Ohio State game that he really likes as a bet. Um, did not hit on his Ohio State bet last week, which was Ohio State minus six and a half in the first quarter because that sort of broken tackle right off the back by Notre Dame. Sort of, I think he was, from a betting standpoint, uh, throwing things at his TV. But Tishu and I both went three, three and two in our power conference bets last week. So 
more gambling there, specific gambling stuff about Ohio State, and then we make uh, a bet for each power conference team, and then and then Tissue really digs in on here's where you can win some money. That's the gambling show. On this show, we preview the Ohio State game and then make our picks. But Nathan, Ryan Day said something that I think is of great interest to Ohio State fans, and I, I want the context because I you know I wasn't listening to the radio show, I wasn't in the lightning round, but you text out all this information. So all I did was see your text, but he talked about something that was the lead item on the rant show on Wednesday that when I said, Hey, texters, send me some rants and takes about Ohio state football. There was a lot. There were a lot of opinions about Ryan day's play calling and the feeling that at times he is reluctant to get to the run game when the passing game maybe isn't there. And he talked about that on Thursday. What was the context of him talking about that? And I tried to ask him about it after the game and it didn't really hit the way it would have. And today, Bill Landis was the one who had asked him about, did he think coming into this season that the running game would maybe be a bigger impact than it has been, or that that would maybe be, what's, what's the way he put it? Like it would be kind of front facing that this would be a run first team almost. And they eventually got around to, I think is kind of the money statement, which is when they drop two high safeties, we have to run the football. When that happens, we can't let our pride and ego get in the way. A big part of that is me right here, that he loves scoring points and throwing the ball. But if the way to win is to control the clock and run the ball, then that's what they have to do. And I think that was a tacit admission on his part that that has happened in the past, for sure. Northwestern in the big, championship game in 2020 last week I would argue in the first half like we've seen glimpses of it and I think there's some that's a little bit of a self-critique that he knows he's a quarterback at nature he knows he wants to bring quarterbacks here who throw the crap out of the ball and they put up a bunch of yards and points but that if this if the obvious way to win right in front of you is to run the ball against a team that's dropping eight and you have a great offensive line and a really talented, two really talented running backs. Why would you possibly not do that? And I think that was him an evolution a little bit in his thinking that he'll say that out loud because in the past, sometimes when you ask Ryan day about like, Hey, are you sure you're calling plays the right way? He's like, a whole lot. Have you met me? Yeah. Yeah. How did I get this job? I get this job because I'm good at this. Yeah. Um, Steven, what do you think? And that's like, that's the news here. This is not a new discussion. What's new is Ryan Day joining the discussion, which we say all the time here. Hey, we're just three guys on a podcast 52 weeks a year. But when the coach joins, and again, it's like Ryan Day, it's like, hey, well, who's this text from? Hey, send in your rants and takes. Hey, this is Ryan from New Hampshire. I think the head coach <laughs> needs to get to the run game faster. Steven, what, like, what do you think of Ryan Day sort of saying that out loud? I think somebody watched a lot of film this summer and realized how many teams have figured that out as well. Because we keep talking about the Big Ten championship game. Let's talk about the Tulsa game last year. Let's talk about the Nebraska game last year. Uh, Let's talk about the Indiana game to a certain extent back in 2020 with Justin Fields when he started throwing the ball away a bunch. I think other teams have realized that part of the too high safety thing is, yes, it's to limit the big plays because Ohio State will kill you if you let them get big plays, but also let's see if the Ohio State's play caller is disciplined because there's that quarterback in Ryan Day who, like he said, I want to throw the ball around. 
I want to score points. That's what quarterbacks want to do. They want to throw the ball. I want to hand it off a million times. So when that's your play caller and your head coach, he can get undisciplined just like his players can sometimes. And I, I do think there is a bit a a game plan put out there, especially from teams who are not as talented as Ohio State and kind of have to scheme it up a little bit more to be like, our best chance of keeping this competitive is making Ryan Day be disciplined because so far he hasn't shown he has the ability to do that. That's really now, interesting. We also can go too far with this. They are yeah. better. They are better at throwing it than they are at running it. Their yes. best players are the people involved with the pass game, right? So, and for a decade, Ohio State didn't throw it enough and everybody went crazy, which is what I wrote about. Like, hey, it's nice to be Jim Trestle for a day. Do you really want Ryan Day to be Jim Trestle? But as every coach, you've got to do, you've got to take what the defense is giving you. So if defenses are going to an extreme, right, Nathan, mm-hmm. Steven, like, yeah, hey, yeah. what are you doing? We're, we're dropping 14. Well, right, that's, that's when you've got to take it. Because then if they drop 14, and you rip off a bunch of nine-yard runs the whole first half, then they probably will stop doing that, and then you can get back to throwing it again, right? So I, I do – I just – The key Garrett, is patience with it, though, because I, I don't think his problem is like no, – it's, it's going back to the, oh, let's play actually get him over the top way earlier than he should because that's – your point is, is valid. It's like – Eventually, if you're gashing somebody up their middle of their defense all day, they're going to stop playing too high safety because they got to stop the run. And that's when you go over the top. Day's problem is three plays later, and they still haven't come out of that too high safety. And he's in that, you know, big play zone between the, the 40s near the, uh, the the midline. That's where he wants to start throwing the ball again around. So it's it's a discipline thing. Now, listen, but they didn't take any shots last week. I mean, I th- they schemed up some shots and they weren't there. They didn't really take any shots, right? Did they take a shot? Uh, what the, the they, Marvin, the drop, and then they tried to take one to Mecca, but it ended up being a DPI. Okay. That, there was the DPI, and then there was there was one to um, – <clears throat> there's another one up the sideline to Harrison, too, that was a errant throw. Yeah. So – But not as many as, like, typically. Like, not, they'll probably get, like, six or seven. Not like the play so, action yeah. doubt, like, 50-yard bombs to Chris Olave that we were used to seeing. Yeah. So, I do think – I think – one thing I think sometimes – when they don't run it well early, they give up on the run, I think, mm-hmm. sometimes. But when they don't throw it well early, they don't give up on the pass, right? He is, mm-hmm. he, is that part of it, Nathan? Like, he's, he's much more he's, – he gets away from the run quicker if it doesn't work, where the passing game, he'll be like three and out, three and out, three and out, throwing it. But also, like, I do understand that. And that's what I talked about on my thing. So I want you guys to know what's talking here. They're so good at it. I understand the idea of like you, you think it'll come around. I don't think that's completely irrational to believe in your passing game so much that you think no matter what the defense is doing, it's eventually going to work. I don't want to give up. But on Thursday, he admitted maybe for the first time publicly that he can't keep thinking that way. And not to get too wonky with it, but we do always want to mention they consider those like vertical things out into the or horizontal things out in the flats are kind of a run. So those are getting mixed in sometimes, even when they're throwing it, it's things like that. So it's extension of the run game, whatever. But they still haven't actually, I would argue, they haven't lost a game yet because of offensive play calling. Is that a fair thing to say? They've had some like clunky wins, but they haven't like lost a game yet because of offensive play calling. And I think, but I think we've seen opportunities for that to happen 
in some of these games that they have won. Like where you're, where you, where you maybe if you're a fan, you're sitting there watching it and you're thinking like, well, one of these days, this is going to bite us. And uh, the way to, they talk today about it is, I think, again, just some sort of recognition of that. Um, but I also, uh, to, to get ahead of things a little bit, we've been talking about this, Wisconsin game coming up in a couple of weeks in terms of Jackson Smith and Jigba has to be healthy for that game. Or how is this Ohio State defense? It looks pretty good. How is it going to hold up against Braylon Allen? There's another really interesting matchup in that game, and it's going to be this Ohio State offense against the Jim Leonard Wisconsin defense. It's one of the best defensive coordinators in the country. They're consistently a strong defense every year in multiple facets usually, especially against stopping the run. But how does that defense come out and try to stop Ohio state. And I'm, I'm starting to get really intrigued by, I don't know what a comparable matchup that Wisconsin has faced since the last time they played Ohio state in a big 10 championship game. And even when they did that, it was a different kind of offense. Justin Fields was a different kind of quarterback than CJ Stroud is. So that now is on the near horizon of like a really interesting chess match that we get to watch play out. Yeah, I I agree, Doug. They've, typically been able to throw themselves out of their problems in a way they haven't been able to run themselves out of them. So I get it. Most of the time it works, which is why when it doesn't work, it's that much louder and something to pay attention to. And while we're talking about this, we're talking about three or four times max here out of, you know, 40 games that he's been the head coach at this point. But I can't remember if it was the Penn state game or the Michigan game in 2019, where they came out and just belligerently said, we're giving JK the Dobbins the ball 10 of the first 12 snaps just flat out, regardless of what happens, we're giving JK the ball. And it kind of set a standard for the game. And you've you've got a JK Dobbins running back now and Travion Henderson, who has been here for a year. And I'm wondering if to Nathan's point with the Wisconsin game, or maybe the Penn state game later, or the Michigan game, there's a game out there where I think Ryan day should just go, I'm giving Travion Henderson the ball, the first 10, 10 out of 15 plays here regardless of what happens, just to kind of establish him and don't go away from that. And I'm wondering if that game is showing up now that he has said something like this, where it's like, I got to kind of get out of my own way sometimes. You know, sometimes the other good teams in the Big Ten have major vulnerabilities like Michigan State did last year. And Ohio State just bombs away against them and get out to this huge lead. But when those teams are at their best, you often have to win them in a very grinded out kind of way. You're usually not blowing Penn State off the field when they're really good. You're not blowing Michigan off the field when they're good. Um, and so that some of this is probably him recognizing that now, having been in this a couple of years and what it's going to take to to win a game like that later this year. But I also like disagree with part of that because especially maybe at the highest level, I don't think you're going to grind it out against Bama and Georgia and Clemson. You have to throw over them, right? So right. I don't know what that – this I is mean, more it, of a regular season conversation than it is. Like and we've had that though. conversation. They almost have to be two different teams. Yeah. Right. And, and well, they, should... the, the problem in the Trestle era was they were a grinded out defense, run the ball special teams team in the big 10, which won. And then when they got to Florida and LSU and Texas and USC, they couldn't compete equal talent. They didn't have the scheme to compete. And that drove people nuts, but in the big 10, nobody could stop them. Now it's it's certainly not flipped because they're still obviously the best program in the Big Ten, but this is a postseason offense that has to get through the regular season. So that conversation we have had before, but we had as you guys, no, right? We've had. I mean, yeah. it's it's all tied together. You, I mean, really, run a run the run game and your defense are almost tied together because it's about yeah. controlling the game and it's about 
It's not about big plays. But, it's about st- being stout down to yeah, down. So, so those yeah. those are always linked. But we were what we were the discussion we were having was Ohio State playing one kind of defense during the regular season mm. to win the Big Ten, but then that wasn't going to be good enough when you got on the same field as Alabama and the 2019 LSUs and some of those Clemson teams. And I don't know that we're trending towards that same problem in offense. Because the other thing Ryan Day talked about today, it's not like he is abandoning the passing game. He was definitely talking about uh, all the how how inefficient they were, how how much they need to clean it up in the first half. And so the first half of the first game of the year, they saw some things, and now they get 11 more weeks to try to figure that out and win a Big Ten championship. It's just more that Ohio, like, and this goes back to what we've talked about time and time again since we, Jason and I got here pretty much. Ohio State's just got to have different stuff in its bag. It's got to have different pitches. It can't just, you know, have the one pitch the way other, like, Southern teams can because they play against that all year long, and they can't just have one pitch like other teams in the Big Ten have. It's why, like, when he was t- talking all that toughness talk, that's great, but it's only for one quarter. But that's all they need it for. They don't need to be able to do that for a full game. They just need to be able to do it when they have to be able to do it, just but like I with think, the defense and everything else. Well, if, if you took last year's offense and paired it with the 2019 defense, then the offense could have had whatever that one pitch was last year. That, you know what I'm saying? But that that's a very difficult thing to sync up. Like, one of your greatest offenses ever and your greatest defense ever – <clears throat> you can't assume that's going to happen. Yeah. But go ahead, Doug. No, I just think that this is a little bit, Nathan, of an admission to me of what we were talking about right after the game, which is Ryan Day after the game was like, yeah, we ran it. And we were like, did you? You ran right. it in the fourth right. quarter. You didn't in the first three quarters. You ran it when and you I needed think to. He went back and then like looked at the first three quarters and was like, oh, you know what? I maybe need to get to that sooner sometimes, yeah. which is, I think, what this Thursday quote is then about so and i will just state for the record i cannot believe i am living in a time where the discussion around ohio state football is they throw too much my goodness <laughs> maybe that's how, how did we be, get man. here you ran wonder- too much so you had to you had to go to the other extreme and now we've seen that and now we can come back to the middle and finally have harmony it took 22 years but we finally got here this has to be i mean i don't know if Maybe when Joe Germain and Coop were tossing it around a little bit back in the 90s, maybe people were like, I don't know about this passing game, but maybe the texters can tell me, the the listeners can tell us. But I think maybe it's possible. Maybe when Woody was trying to get used to Art Schleister, maybe people were like, I don't know, this is – but I think this might be the first time in the history of Ohio State football anybody has ever thought they're throwing it too much. So – it has been a long, winding road for 125 years to officially get us to the point where the where the offensive guru, head coach, too much offense on, on this day on Thursday, September 8th, 2022, finally said, "Eh, I throw it too much." Wow, wow. You know, okay. I, I. I I don't know if they would tell us. It'd be an interesting question to ask, but like, how do they do sort of like self critiques on the staff like this? Cause you know, I think of it in terms of like our jobs, if you write something in an article and it's good, that probably didn't happen by accident. You probably know, okay, I got a good turn of phrase there. I got a great quote that works there. But if you do something wrong, it's usually by accident or you're just being sloppy or whatever. So I wonder if the same thing applies to them. Like if I'm Ryan day, do I have, do I tell Jim Knowles like, Hey, by uh, Monday morning, I want you to tell me, the times when I did exactly what you would have wanted me to do as a defensive coordinator. And then like, how do I change that thinking going forward? And then he does the same thing for, for Knowles kind of thing. 
Yeah, it'd be great to be in that offensive meeting room again, where he's trying to empower Brian Hartline a little bit more. Kevin Wilson's been around the block more than once as an offensive mind at the very highest level. Tony Alford's got a lot of input there with one game stuff, right? Like Justin Fry's a new voice in the room. It's, it's one of those. Uh, Ryan, um, could we maybe throw the, what? What's your question? <laughs> What's your question? You think you're wicked smart over there, Fry? You're going to come in in year one and tell me how to run this offense? But then Ryan Day, you, you take a moment of self-reflection. And here you are. So again, you can't, you can't go too far. They got to throw to win the national title. They have to be the best throwing team in the country yeah. to win the national title, because that is what, that's the edge they have. Bama, the best of Bama throwing it, it's not as good as Ohio State. The best of Georgia throwing it, no matter how good Stetson Bennett is, is not, you know, Clemson's trying to figure out if they have a quarterback or not. Ohio State has their ducks in a row here, right? I do mm-hmm. think, I do think based on game one, as we talked before, Maybe they are going to miss Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave, but still every other big, every other national title contender would take Marvin Harrison, Jr. Emeka Buka, Julian Fleming and Jackson Smith. They take one of them tomorrow and say, go on the field. You're going to play every snap. So we understand that the measurement of Ohio state's passing game is only against itself, but it is its greatest edge. And when you have an edge that great, you can't say, Oh, well, they're dropping nine. I guess we'll never throw it again. Right. You can't go too far but you also can't bang your head against the wall a million times. So, so I'll give you guys the last word on this again. Cause I like Steven that Ryan day said this, is this, is this a line in the sand day or is it just a thing a guy says to get through a question? Or do we think this is a, an indication of self-reflection that could be a turning point in the history? <laughs> is this the, so that we've been talking about that is, the most important thing in the history of Ohio State football is building Ohio Stadium. Is this the second most important that Ryan Day said we might throw it too much? Um, I'm not going to go that far. I think there's some other things in the last century and some change that have happened. But I do believe it, that he's being genuine. And the reason why is he's done this before, back when we were asking him basically, hey, is it stupid to be running a single high safety defense? He'd be like, no, I love this defense. I, it's my defense. It's my defense. It's my defense. And then last year they went to two high safeties. And then this year, past year, he just went and hired Jim Knowles. So in the moment, he's stubborn because I think he's still in it. And he's trying to see it through. But once he's had a chance to, as he likes to say, come up for air and see it from a bird's eyes view, I think sometimes – he comes around to some of the things that people are questioning about him. And this is another example of that for a guy that once again, this is only his fourth year being a head coach and he's still learning on the job. Belief is, I think this, I think this thing is going to work and I'm never going to doubt myself. And then stubbornness is proof multiple times that it's not working and maybe yes. still hanging on to that belief. Nathan is this, Right. I think he I think his belief in his ability and his players ability to throw the ball is staunch. I think perhaps. Go ahead. I was to say, I think his stance on his offense is belief. I think his stance on, for instance, when they were married 100 percent to the single high safety defense was maybe a little bit of stubbornness. Was he in danger of crossing into stubbornness offensively, do you think? Or, or had he gotten there yet? Because I will say, yes. texters use that, use the S-T-U-B word, right? They use that word. 
And I'm wondering, do you think we had gotten there from an an offensive standpoint? We're not there yet. Is this him pulling himself back from the precipice of that? Where would that word work in offensively? Because I think your point, the point you guys are making about that defensive comparison, I do think is a good one. It's tricky because he's probably right about the offense, the passing offense eventually just kicking in anyway. Like as you've been intimating, like the answer to this is not to get, is not, is not to not put the ball in Jackson Smith and Jigba's hands and to not have C.J. Stroud reading defenses and making passes and throwing lasers. Like, that's not the answer here. So it would have – it wouldn't – I don't think it would have shown up as obviously because when you're playing the wrong defense, if there's a schematic problem on defense, it can be exploited each week. I don't think that was a danger as much with the offense, but I think what would have happened is there would have eventually been a loss down the line where we would have said that – stubbornness in the first half cost him if you if you have the same thing that happened this past Saturday and you're playing a better offense than Notre Dame then you've got problems it's more just even your Heisman Trophy candidate quarterback can bail he can only bail you out so many times and like at some point CJ wasn't isn't going to be able to bail Ryan Day out or it's Kyle McCord a year from now or Devin Brown or Dylan whoever down the line eventually they're not going to be able to bail out the play caller and that's when you lose the game. Okay. Quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about some Arkansas State players. We're going to give you guys the information about the Red Wolves. That's a piece of information. Their nickname is the Red Wolves. That you need to get ready to watch this game on Saturday. And then after that, we'll make our picks. Next on Buckeye Talk. Doug Maurice, Stephen Means, Nathan Baird, via tech subscriber 614-350-3315. And we also certainly invite you to read cleveland.com slash OSU. That's where we're putting up all kinds of stuff all week. Nathan, you are doing this thing where you're really trying to do some unique reporting and get out there and write some some interesting in-depth stories and drop those early in the week on readers, stuff you won't find anywhere else, stuff that is like a good way to get your week started thinking about Ohio State football. People can typically look for those stories on either Monday or Tuesday at cleveland.com slash OSU. This past Tuesday, if people have not read it, you wrote about Rob Harley, the uh, great, great, great grand nephew of Chick Harley. It might have had too many greats in there, but he's coming in. He's two greats. He's coming in as Arkansas State's defensive coordinator, so he's going to be in the shoe on Saturday. What do you have coming next week that people can get fired up for? So I'm working on a piece about Perry Eliano and – a couple of things I think are really interesting about him. And, and one is Jim Knowles is brought in running a safety driven defense. So the guy that you pick to be your safeties coach seems to be a critical hire. So what was behind that decision? But then also Perry Eliano was a guy who, and all these guys have to grind a little bit to climb the tree. I mean, even Ryan day, all these guys there, there's, there's usually a grind to, to climb and get into the, the ranks, especially is to get really high, but, Perry Allen did this for like 20 years before he ever even got to Cincinnati. And so he still technically wasn't even at a power five there. And then now this is finally his first power five job, like pretty far into his career. Didn't play at a power five. Uh, I think the only bowls he ever has been to were the two that he played it in or coaching it with Cincinnati, I think. And so I'm just intrigued by like kind of what the inflection point was for him to get to, to make that switch and be able to get to a place like Ohio state and to get to place, even like Cincinnati and the success that they had last year. And, you know, Ohio state's playing a Mac team next week in Toledo. He had a pretty pivotal couple years at 
uh, Bowling Green. I, his first game with them as defensive coordinator was in Ohio Stadium, I believe. Well, Ohio State just shellacking them and, and kind of how those experiences and how you handle them help you develop your career and, and, and keep pushing forward. So um, I, just some interesting stuff. I'm talking to people in his background. I texted out yesterday about a guy named David Wetzel, who um, was his position coach in high school. I'm talking to some other people who knew him back when. So I think it'll be an interesting read, hopefully Monday morning. And Steven, you're always uh, dancing around in the recruiting world. You went out on a visit this week with Garrett Stover. Is that correct? A big target for Ohio. Is he 2024? Yes, 2024 and what might quite honestly be a big year for in-state targets at Ohio State, maybe similar to what we saw in 2021 with a lot of big-time guys. There's a chance Ohio State could put together an entire secondary class, also in-state guys, and it'd be a really good class. And he's at the head of that. One of the guys at the head of that who was – he is also Kate Stover's cousin, which the most interesting fact in the world, their dads are brothers, their mothers are sisters. And it's like um, it's an amazing thing for them to talk about at dinner. It's 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 amazing. There, so my wife's family, uh, my mother-in-law, her brothers did that. So like when we would go to Christmas, it's like there she has two brothers who married two sisters. So then if you're both your parents are siblings, that's like you have the same sets of grandparents as your cousins, yes. both sides. You're practically brothers. Right. I yes. mean, it's really more it's almost more brother than it is cousin. So by your reaction to that, my inclination possibly was you had never heard of that before. Brothers never. marrying sisters is what is it? I will go to Christmas with people who have done that. So okay. I have heard that. Nathan, had you heard of that? Do you know people that have that? I don't can't remember if I know anybody. I'm sure that I have heard people like, tangentially in my life that have done that. But I mean, if you grew up in a small rural area that's much more common than it is if you grow up in a bigger urban area yeah there's just there's just less less eligible uh ladies out there (laughs) if you find if there's one marryable woman in a family and she has a sister there's a good chance like i don't know you don't have to look that far it's taking him in does he have a sister to a whole nother stratosphere yeah and and same thing with the guys same thing with eligible guys too like from the women's point of view so yeah, no, that's my my wife's family is from a town of like 400 people in Iowa. And so you got like a every single person in that town, you have like a one in 100 chance of marrying. So it's like, hey, if they're sisters. So anyway, so Garrett Stover's story is up on Cleveland.com slash OSU yeah. right now. The Perry Eliano story is right around the corner. The Rob Harley story is up at Cleveland.com slash OSU. So if you listen to this podcast and you don't ever visit us there, we certainly would invite you to stop by. Also, every week, Nathan, early in the week, you drop five players on Ohio State's opponent for Ohio State fans to get familiar with. You did that for Arkansas State early in the week. James Blackman, the quarterback, Florida State transfer, has been in college football forever. I think his first year was 2017. So that's 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22. This is his sixth year. Sean Clifford's a sixth-year guy. Who else is a sixth-year guy? There's another big sixth-year guy in college football. I can't think who it is right now, but like this is the COVID era, right? I think Six. Uh, this isn't a big guy, but I think it happened in the first, the Penn State game. I think Aiden O'Connell from. Oh, Aiden, Aiden O'Connell. Yeah. yeah, no, he that's two. That's guy. that's two Big Ten starting quarterbacks who are six-year guys. So that the Arkansas State quarterback who transferred from Florida State as a six-year guy is not a shock compared to that, but it's still hard to wrap your head around. You know, Arkansas State is 
practically a 50-point dog. But their starting quarterback was once the starting quarterback at Florida State, which is not something you come across every day when you're Ohio State playing a non-power five, uh, playing a, a group of five team. Yeah, he started in 2017 as a true freshman and then in 2019 as a redshirt sophomore. I don't the year in between, I'm not sure if it was injury or if he just lost the job, but was a two year starter at Florida State and, um, you know, had had decent numbers there. And then last year for Arkansas State, 1,344 yards, eight touchdowns, four picks. Um, had a pretty efficient game the first week, but they're playing a terrible grambling team. But yeah, I mean, you're, you're going up against, it's the opposite of last week in some ways. It's, they were playing a pretty talented quarterback. I think we all came away from there somewhat impressed with what Buckner did. And it's going to be interesting to see how that matchup goes next year in South Bend. But this is a guy who has all the experience in the world as opposed to a first-time starter, a guy. I mean, I don't know how old James Blackman is, but he's got to be like 23 now or something. And um, so how much will he be like intimidated and confused or uh, thrown off by whatever Jim Knowles throws at him on Saturday? And will he be in better position to handle that? I'm going to read you guys two stat lines. You can try to guess what they are. These are two quarterback stat lines. One is 15 of 25 for 185 passing yards, one touchdown and one interception. And the other is 23 of 37, 321 passing yards, two touchdowns and one interception. Those are two quarterback stat lines. And now I'll tell you what they are. The first one, 15 for 25 for 185. That's what CJ Stroud did against Tulsa last year on September 18th, 23 of 37 for 321. That's what James Blackman did against Tulsa the next week on September 25th. So, well, I'm not telling you James Blackman is better than CJ Stroud, but Ryan Day, right on Thursday, did he not mention that, hey, Arkansas State, they played Tulsa the week after we played them. Last year, Ohio State with four minutes left was one touchdown ahead of Tulsa. The next week with four minutes left, Arkansas State was one touchdown behind Tulsa. So again, it's a it's a 45, it's a 45 point game, Stephen. But there's a there's just a little bit between the transfers that Nathan has talked about, right? And that Butch Jones is their coach. Now Butch Jones like failed his way to Arkansas State because he was working his way up. He was at a small, you know, Cincinnati and then Tennessee. Tennessee doesn't work. He goes and hangs around at Alabama for a while for, you know, a nickel an hour and then gets the Arkansas State job. But they have some guys who have been around a little bit, which when you're thinking about a, 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 a six-touchdown edge for seven-touchdown edge for Ohio State, not every team has that. This team does. What I, I like to call players like this reasons to understand why a big play happens on Saturday. They're going to have some – Arkansas State's going to be able to scam at some stuff, and they're going to have some moments where, I don't know, they have a 45-yard pass or a 17-yard run. And at first glance, you're going, why is that happening? Oh, because the quarterback is a power five quarterback or the wide receiver is a power five receiver. It explains that. But, yes, also, James Blackman is better than a C.J. Stroud with a torn A.C. joint in the shoulder. Correct. Yeah. And I do think if it's right, I think in 17, the reason James Blackman played is because Florida State was supposed to be good in 2017 and their starting quarterback got hurt in the opener. And then they wound up starting true freshman James Blackman and their season fell off a cliff. And then I think in 18, that starter was back 
and then in 19, James Blackman was the starter. I think he yep. wasn't that good. So right. he, he got thrown in when he shouldn't have gotten thrown in. Last week, again, they destroyed Grambling, coached by former Browns coach Hugh Jackson. Blackman was 15 of 20 for 210 and two touchdowns. Johnny Lang, running back, 13 carries, 124. Brian Sneed, 2018 Ohio State recruit, 12 carries, 57, and a touchdown. And then Champ Flemings, seven catches, 122, and a touchdown. Again, Nathan, just touching on some of these other guys, we got to talk about Brian Sneed at least a little bit. And when you did your list of the five players, who's else? Who else should be names? They have some defensive guys who are power five transfers. What are some of the other names that maybe Ohio State fans should at least be aware of? You know, one that you had pointed out, because when you did the thing over the summer um, that kind of previewing this game was um, Kyvon Bennett, who is an edge rusher, the son of Cornelius Bennett. Uh, another guy who spent the first four years of his career at, at Tennessee and then came in last year and was a second team all Sunbelt guy. Um, you know, had eight sacks last season. And, you know, this defense last week, you know, the, the challenge will be a thousand times different for them, obviously trying to keep up with Ohio State, especially if Jackson Smith, Jigba, and Julian Fleming both play. But, I mean, they only they allowed two yards of play last week and two of 13 on third downs against Grambling. So that's how you pretty much shut a team out down completely. And he's obviously got some talent. There's, uh, there's just a, when you have that many transfers coming in from the Power Five, it's guys who wouldn't be playing at Ohio State, but it makes them, you know, probably comparable in talent to some of the teams that you're going to see in the Big Ten. And we've seen those teams be able to, like, you know, get a break here and there and hang around with Ohio State for a half. Um, I'm thinking like Rutgers in 2019, where we thought, you know, that game had that like that like. 60 point spread or whatever. And then it ended up being like 21, nothing at halftime because Ohio state had the, I think they had a turnover and some other things. So um, just one of those teams that I think if, if they got the right breaks could hang around for a little bit, just because they have such, you know, veteran talent. And these guys showed, showed some, some level of skill to get those offers and get those situations in the first place. Listen, it's like Sunbelt football is, Pretty decent. Um, Coastal Carolina's a Sunbelt team. Louisiana, that Billy Napier coached last year and was so good he got the Florida job. They're a Sunbelt team. Uh, Old Dominion, who beat Virginia Tech in week one, they're a Sunbelt team. They're, you know, these teams at times have jumped up. Like what, what Coastal Carolina has been the past couple of years, Arkansas State was that once upon a time, right? Now, Arkansas State has not been that, but Butch Jones is trying to build that back up. There's a chance in a couple of years that Arkansas State might be one of these 10-win Sunbelt teams. They're not there now. It's kind of like a complete rebuild, but that's where they're trying to get. So they're not going to get there on Saturday. <laughs> right. But, you know, this is a program that does have a football pulse. Rob Harley was the linebackers coach at Pitt under Pat Narduzzi for several years. And that's a guy he considers his mentor. And uh, he said that he wasn't going to leave there for just any situation, but not only is it Butch Jones, but to go somewhere and be a, a coordinator for the first time in a conference where you're right. I mean, like coastal Carolina has been a, an offensive juggernaut. There's other guys from that conference, uh, offensive coordinators and head coaches who are getting bigger jobs going back into the power five. And he thought that this was a good place to come and prove yourself as a defensive coordinator to go against this kind of teams at this level. And Brian Sneed, we mentioned on the Monday podcast, Brian Sneed, a top 100 national recruit in the class of 2018. He was their number one running back recruit in that class. Master Teague was the second running back recruit in that class. When we had this 
sort of little window where it felt like Ohio State's running back room wasn't up to its normal standard, which is why Trey Sermon had to come here as a transfer and then wind up starting late in the season for a team that made the national championship game. Brian Sneed, Stephen, not being here was, was a big chunk of that reason. Brian Sneed left the team, left the school after off-field accusations of sexual misconduct. Again, that's where we are with that. He is now back. He has gone through things. But from purely a football standpoint, and we know it is not a purely football discussion with Brian Steed, from a purely football standpoint, this guy was like a dude, Stephen. Like when Tony Alford mm-hmm. recruited him, and I know that Tony Alford still has a relationship with the family, with Brian Sneed. That's how Tony Alford operates. If you're ever in his room, he's always going to have a relationship with you. Like if there's any question about, hey, is, you know, what's we're talking about transfers from Power 5. There's a version where Brian Sneed is Ohio State starting running back in 2020 in the national championship year. game. That's yeah. where that would have been his third year in college. And now he's here in 2022 coming into Ohio Stadium. Again, he he got there sort of later in the summer to Arkansas State, but they used him last week, Stephen. And this guy has football talent. He's a top 100 recruit in 2018. And let's just say from a football perspective, he would have still been here in 2020. And he did what Trey Sermon did in that two-game stretch. We'd have still talked about it, but we wouldn't have been like, where was this at all season? It had just been what he had been doing all season up to some extent, just based off what his recruiting ranking was. And then the moment that he did get the flash, whether it was in practice or like in blowouts in 2018. Yeah, so that's the deal. Trey Sermon, by the way, got cut by the Niners at the end of cuts and wound up with the Eagles. That is... Um, I was never high on Trey Sermon. You guys know that. How to turn two games into making yourself a higher draft pick than you should have been. I mean, I don't, that's that I'm not surprised that this is how it went for Trey Sermon in the NFL. Cause I thought he was overdrafted, but I still don't know how he karate kicked his way to those two games. I, it blows my mind um, that he did that, but also boy, did Ohio state need it. So like for that, but that may be, if you talk all time, I might be hard. I mean, I guess it's hard to beat Cardale. Like the three yeah, games of Cardale. That's it. It's, it's second only to Cardale when it's like, huh? Like if you if we did a podcast called Tiny Window, Big Impact, that, yeah. that is a very, for a very short period of time, you're the Ohio State football team could not live without you. And then that was it. Trey Sermon is top five for sure. Yes. And so anyway, but the one of the reasons Trey Sermon had to come do this is because Brian Sneed was not here. Okay, Nathan, anything else specifically about Arkansas State that we need to know? Butch Jones, the head coach, Rob Harley, the defensive coordinator, Brian Sneed in the backfield, James Blackman, a quarterback, Cornelius Bennett's son, at edge rusher, anybody else? I think that's a lot. I think that covers it okay. pretty well. The the, the, the uh, receiver you mentioned, um, I think he's he's listed at 5'5", five, five, Champ Flemings. Really? 5'5", five, five. So, wow. 5'5", five, five. so I'm really intrigued to Come watch him. On. I think he's, he's, a, he's a burner on special teams, too. He's a guy that they use um, on kickoff returns, um, was an all-Pac-12 guy at Oregon State, honorable mention, as a, as a kick return guy. So um, if you can see him, get your binoculars. <laughs> he better be a burner. If, like, you're, if you're that short, you better be a burner. He had 125. Yeah, Do you know how fast and skilled you have to be to play FBS football when you're 5'5"? Five, five? Yes. Yep. Yeah. That guy's that guy is chock full of talent. He's gonna make that, some people miss that on body. Saturday. So like, watch out! Right, they got to get it to him. But swing pass central, watch out, baby. Yeah. That guy I mean, must have some jets. 
Yeah, in his career at Oregon State, um, 61 catches, 902 yards, and four touchdowns. So, like, he got on the Not field in, in Power Five before he got to Arkansas State. So this is like this is one of those teams that just has some dudes like that. Doesn't mean they're going to hang with Ohio State, but in the moment, there might be a player or two, as Steven said, where you go, what? And it's like, well, this is how. All right, when we come back, we'll make our picks on Buckeye Talk. Doug Nathan, Steven, we were bad last week. Steven went one and one, right, Steven? Because you had the under yeah. on the total. Nathan, you and I went on went over on the total. wasn't close to going over. And we all gave the points with Ohio State. And they did not cover. They were 17 and a half point favorites, and they won by 11. The closest thing I had to being right was I said it would be a close game. And then Ohio State would pull away, which was kind of right. The score was just one-third as many points as I thought it would be. And when they pulled away, it was just with one seven-minute drive. It wasn't with multiple touchdowns late in the game. We also on the site did some prop bets. I was wrong because I did Michael Mayer over like 67 and a half receiving yards. Ohio State held him under that. Steven was wrong because he had three and a half touchdown passes for CJ Stroud. And we know how that game went. Nathan was right because I think it was 227 and a half passing yards for Tyler Buckner for Notre Dame. And they really did hold him down. You really felt pretty confident about that Tyler Buckner back going in, right, Nathan? Maybe well, not after the first a, play. Until yeah. he had a 50 yard pass <laughs> on the first play. I mean, and they really, even during that game, like they were getting enough for those chunk passes. And I thought, ooh, that's going to cost me here. But no, it, it held up. So that will make our picks. We'll, we'll, we do those other things separately. On this show, we just do our picks against the spread um, and on the over-unders. I will say I was trying to look for comparisons for this game in the Ryan Day era, uh, a team like Arkansas State. So to me, that's like – so it's a non-Power 5 team in the non-conference, which is a very baseline comparison. 2019 Florida Atlantic. I think Florida Atlantic is better. Like, I don't think that's a great comparison. Yeah, but Atlantic, player. they like, they won. Yeah, they had that Harrison Bryant guy who plays for the Browns yeah. now. And they won, they won their conference that year. And like, that's Lane Kiffin and stuff. So that's not quite Arkansas State. Ohio State in that opener in 2019 won 45-21. But I think Florida Atlantic is pretty substantially better than Arkansas State. So I don't think that's a great comparison. Miami, Ohio in 2019, I think might be the best comparison in the day era. Miami, Ohio went on to be six and two in the MAC. They were eight and six overall, made a bowl game, and Ohio State beat them 76 to five after Miami of Ohio, I think, scored first. So that's similar. Last year, it's it's Tulsa. But again, we sort of covered that. That's like hurt CJ, and then it's Akron, and that's no CJ. So, like in terms of where Ohio State is as a team compared to where they were as a team as these other games, when they've played under Ryan Day a group of five team, I do feel like Miami of Ohio is sort of like the only comparison. Cause that, cause the point is Miami of Ohio is pretty good. Right. Mm-hmm. But clearly he wasn't going to hang with Ohio state and it was 76 to five. So when we think Nathan about the idea of a 68.5 over under, right. That's the total. Will it, will they score combined more or fewer points than 68.5 and Ohio state's a 44 and a half point favorite. What's your score? And then we'll figure out which side you're picking with those. You want my total first? No, just make your pick because it's not a betting show. Just make your pick and then we'll know, okay, well, then you're this and this. So I'm saying Ohio State 49, Arkansas State 10. I think that Arkansas State is a team that uh, has enough of that, that, like I said, power five legitimate talent that it can move the ball a little bit. It's just that your margin for error is so small and expect them to finish a lot of drives against Ohio State, especially what we saw from that defense the first week is probably asking a lot 
And I think the offense gets a little bit more on track this week, whether Jackson Smith the Jigba plays or not. What was your Ohio State number again? 49. So you are, you will take the points with Arkansas State. Taking the points with Arkansas State, not with, again, not by any means thinking that they're going to make this a game, but just that I think that spread might just be a little bit too high. And I'm also taking the under. Okay. All right, Steven, what do you got? I'm glad you brought up the Miami stuff because I was going to get into that when I gave you my picks. Ohio State's had two 70-point games in a day era, and they both came in that season. One was against uh, Miami, Ohio, as you mentioned, and the other one was against Maryland. And, and, then, uh, which was and like, the hard thing is, I guess it's, he he was the head coach for the first three games in 2018, and they scored 77 yeah, against Oregon State. I'm, it's I'm on his record. Me. I've had know. a lot of problems with that. Like, it's on his head coaching record. When you say Ryan Day has this yeah. many wins, those three count. So – I go back and forth on whether to count it, but just at, I, I'm not disagreeing with you. Yeah. I know, 70, I know, yeah. For 77 the sake of this, points the first time Ryan Day was ever a head coach. Yeah. So, but okay, fine. We'll give him that third one then since they're going to put it on his record. The point is, he hasn't had one since 2019. Um, I think this is the perfect game to try to do it. And it's a combination of one, the offense might just cook a little better because they're more talented than, than uh, Arkansas State is. But then also, this Jim Knowles defense is designed to get turnovers. And they didn't have any last week. I think he might dial up some stuff to get some turnovers. So maybe the defense contributes to why some of those points get put on the board too, whether it's pick sixes or scooping stores, or they're just setting up the offense in prime field position on Arkansas State's 37-yard line, and it's a one-play drive. So I said 70 to 7. 70 to 7. So that is over, and that is OSU minus 44.5. So that's completely opposite of Nathan. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what to think. I probably would stay away from this, especially after going over two last week. Definitely would on Ohio away. State. <laughs> I'm going to go. I, I, it's all right. Some of it's desire. Some of it's what Ryan Day wants this offense to do. How long he wants to keep guys in the game? Does he want to get Trivion Henderson going? Which I think is very possible. Does he want to get the passing game going? I don't. I don't know. I said 52 to six, which is a way for me to give the points barely. So I'll give the 44 and a half. I feel better about that side slightly, um, but I'm also going to go under with that 52 and a half. So I'm under the 68 and a half pretty easily. So I'm split on you guys. I'm with Nathan on the under, but I'm with Steven on I'll take uh, Ohio State minus the point. So Nathan, 49 to 10, me, 52 to six, Steven, 70 to seven. Those are our picks for Ohio State, Arkansas State on Saturday. Nathan and Steven will be there, as I mentioned on the previous pod. I will not be there. Uh, one of the rare games that I'm going to miss because I'll be taking my daughter um, to college this weekend. So all's normal. You just won't hear me on the postgame pod or be reading my stuff from the game. Um, what else? What else, Nathan? As you, uh, so I guess last week we did a guy we're curious about, so we'll wrap up with this. I will say I'm curious about Trevion Henderson because I think it's fine. I'm tell- I am getting some feedback on people, more feedback on people who think Brian Williams is the number one back on this team and Trevion Henderson should be the secondary guy. And I just kind of couldn't disagree with that more strongly than I do. But the fact that Mayan put that game away last week, I wonder if it would be a nice time to let Trevion eat. So I'm very curious, both from a run the game standpoint with your your home run hitter at running back, what does that look like? But also, do they want to make sure Trayvon Henderson feels good about himself coming out of this game? So I'm very curious about Trayvon. Nathan, who's a guy that you're really curious about? Yeah, they had exactly equal touches, 15 offensive touches last week, which I think is not a, a bet we would have made probably going into that game. Um, 
guy I'm curious about. I will stay on offense. Um, you know, you've got some guys on this offensive line, and I guess Donovan Jackson is the one that that jumps out most prominently. Had a, a really solid first game, and I th- am curious how he transitions from a really solid first game where he admitted he had some nerves and was, you know, first start, uh, needed that kind of encouragement on the sidelines, big game. So, like, how does that sort of um, push him into the rest of this season? And what do we see from him against a team where he might be able to go out and just really uh, floor some guys and, and dominate? All right, Stephen, who are you curious about? Yeah, I'm going to pick a five-star on offense from that 21 class as well. I wrote about a Mecca this week, and this is if Jackson doesn't play. Mm. I think he's an interesting slot guy. I think Ohio State's had some very different types of slots. You've seen the Paris Campbell where it's just a speedster. You've seen the reliable hands of K.J. Hill. You've seen the football IQ that is Jackson Smith the Jigba and what he does after the catch. Ameka is a well-put-together dude, man, and he's also got a lot of those same elements that those other guys have, which makes him kind of dangerous. And last week he was decent. He had some moments, but he was just decent, but he also had some moments that really showed that the chemistry with Stroud is not all the way there yet. That's going to continue to grow. If Jackson doesn't play, there's a chance because that slot gets the ball so much, we might get to see what an explosive Emeka Ibuka game looks like. Even if like we can say, oh, it's just Arkansas State, that's fine. I just want to see what the explosiveness looks like when he's got the opportunity to be you know, the go-to guy just because he's in the slot, which is kind of a preview of what next year might be. All right. That's who we're picking. That's who we're curious about. That's what we think about Ryan Day and what he said this week. That's it for Buckeye Talk. Make sure you do not miss the gambling show with Tyler Shoemaker, where we just lean in on the gambling stuff with Ohio State and other big games around the country. I'm sure we'll be talking about Texas, Alabama, at least a little bit on that one. For now, for Stephen Means and Nathan Baird, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk.